Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Kenneth McAlpin. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello! And welcome to Rex Factor reviewing all the kings and queens of Scots from Kenneth McAlpin to James VI. Not Elizabeth II. Or Alfred the Great. Or Alfred the Great. And as you yeah. might have noticed, a slight change from what I said last week, not the kings and queens of Scotland, but of Scots. I did notice you say that, yeah. Yeah, it's because we got an email from Barry Lynch who was pointing out that actually he thought that the sort of pejorative term is of Scots. You never say of Scotland. Mary Before. Queen of Scots. Exactly, you wouldn't yeah. say Mary Queen of Scotland. Very true. So uh, to avoid uh, increasing his blood pressure, I think I'm going to say <laughs> of so, Scots from now um, on. Um, anyway, you can also uh, get in touch with us if you'd like to. Uh, email us, rexfactorpodcast at hotmail.com. Facebook us. Yeah, and that's the page that you'd like. Don't friend us, because that's not a real person. Yes, that was a bit of a... Um, that was a... We were <laughs> had a, a, um, birthing troubles. Exactly. Is that a, is that a phrase? Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at RexFactorPod, and also follow our blog, rexfactor.wordpress.com, uh, where yes. we'll be posting various things, and leave a review on iTunes, that'd be lovely. Oh, yeah, subscribe on iTunes, that's yes, very helpful. Very nice. So, last time we did a backgroundy stuff episode yes, we went yes. from the Ice Ages up to yes. Age of the Vikings. We'll do a quick recap now, just to remind us of the world into which Kenneth McAlpin... Kenny! That's who we're doing this week. We enter. Exactly, Big Ken. Yeah. Big Kenny. Uh, so, after the Romans left in 410, yeah. we had four kingdoms yeah. in what we have now call Scotland. We got the Picts, who were sort of resident Celtic peoples in the north and the northeast. Mm-hmm. The Scots who are actually the Irish, <laughs> in Dalriata, which is uh, on the west and the Western Isles. Mm-hmm. The Britons, who have been pushed north by the Saxons into Strathclyde, so that's the southwest yeah. Scotland. And then the Saxons themselves in Northumbria, which is southeast Scotland, northeast England. Okay, I think the Scots win. Well, initially the Picts are winning. Right. But then the Vikings came along and there was a battle in 839 in which basically all of the Pictish leaders, the king, his son, his brother, his brother's sons, all get killed off. Yeah. And there's this massive power vacuum and there's an opportunity for somebody new. Which is where we get the phrase, don't leave all your Scots in one basket. That's exactly where we get that uh, newly invented phrase. (laughs) I'm doing, doing lots of them today. I'll get one more in. Before <laughs> okay. So, uh, a quick word about sources in this period, because for a lot of these early monarchs, in fact, even into the medieval period, we're quite limited. Iona used to be quite good. That's the island on the west. Yeah. But once the Vikings started killing everybody, they kind of stopped writing about it. Ah, uh, and they escaped to Ireland. Exactly, and went off to Kells mm, instead. Right. Uh, similarly, Northumbria goes into a bit of a period of so we're sort of 100 odd years after Bede now. Because the Picts are winning. Because the Picts are winning and the Vikings are giving them a kicking as well. Yes. Um, And the connection with Ireland, who used to write about them quite a lot, has been broken a bit by the Vikings coming in, disrupting the sea route. So we've got less information than we maybe used to. So Ireland at this point is more of a settled community. Like it's reliant on Ireland to write about Scotland rather than there being anything in Scotland. Well, because they consider what happens in Scotland to be of interest. Yeah. But then once the Vikings come in, they can't really continue those links quite as easily. Yeah. So they don't have as much 
information. Mm. Instead, one of the key things we have is the Chronicle of the Kings of Alba. Right. Uh, Alba being a later sort of medieval word for Scotland. Um, instead, it's a king list of 12 reigns from Kenneth I, Kenneth MacAlpin, mm. to Kenneth II, mm. which is probably completed by about 1200. So, quite a lot later. So, quite a lot later. Um, this is stored in a Poppleton manuscript, where we've got lots of bits and bobs being put together mm. later on. So they're, And they're maybe adding new bits, which isn't always accurate. And we also have later medieval chronicles, which, again, take early histories, but also maybe just add in a bit of folklore. Their own little fun as bits, well. yeah. And uh, one of which is the Scotty Chronicon. Brilliant. I mean, if I was going to write one, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what I'd call it. the perfect name. Yeah. Um, this is a chap called Walter Bauer. Um, who um, in the si- uh, 15th century continued the work of another man, John of Forden, who wrote a few things in the 14th century. Mm. But um, there's some history and there's also some basically legends. Lots of pictures. Uh, not so much pictures, but oh. we do have a wonderful story about um, when St Augustine came over to convert the pagan Saxons, <laughs> as they were at the time. Yeah. And he went to uh, Kent in a town called Muglington. Brilliant. And uh, the residents didn't like him very much, so they stuck fishtails on him. <laughs> and God disapproved of this treatment, yeah. and so put actual tails onto all of those who opposed So that's Augustine. the kind of level of fact we're dealing with here. Exactly, but that is now apparently how Englishmen came to have tails. Uh, right, well I wondered where I got mine from, so yes. yeah. And that's in Muglington, that's a Kentish word called uh, effectively muggles. So if you think oh. you're Harry Potter, where a muggle is someone who doesn't have magic, in medieval Scotland, it's an Englishman with a tail. Good. Okay, fine. Well, let's get on to... Yeah. Let's get on to Kenneth then. He's born... Good we don't start, exactly know. Strong start. Well, he definitely is born, but we're not exactly sure when. Mm. Maybe 810, according to Wikipedia, but otherwise I haven't <laughs> really found anyone willing to take a firm bet on it. Around then? Yes. Okay. Early 9th century. Yeah. He's the son of a man called Alpin, <laughs> and... Mrs. Alpin. We don't <laughs> no. know her name. Brilliant. But that's what the Mac means, so effectively oh, okay, son yeah. of Alpin. Right, yeah. Um, and he becomes king 843 mm. or maybe 848, depending so, on... Quite late, really, for this time. 30-odd? Yeah, so yeah, so he's sort of 30-odd when he yeah. becomes king. As you'll see, the reason why we're not sure 843 or 48 is because of events, mm. but we're going to count it from 843. Um, now... Obviously, in this period, there aren't a lot of contemporary images or photographs no. of these monarchs. So, like we did in our early Saxon series, we're going to revert to the Heritage Games Limited playing cards. Yes. And, and uh, Ali's going to describe what right. Calpin looks like. <clears throat> well, um, by the way, I'll post a picture of this so you can see what my description is like. He has a, I mean, a magnificent beard. It is. It doesn't really stop from the hair. No, I mean either that or his eyes are like right at the top of his head. <laughs> um, is that a sword? So the... just concealed, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So I'm wondering if that's that means anything. And a lovely tartan robe, which you know, how accurate is this? I'm not uh, sure. Anyway, he looks very strong, Graham. He does look strong, but as you say, concealing that sword. Mm. It's, it's, it's quite an interesting one, as we see. Bear that in mind. I will. Okay. Uh, now, he's got some nicknames, and the Scots seem to like their epithets. Mm. So I thought we'd uh, look at that before right. we actually get on to him as well. Kenneth's epithet, his main one, is Anne Furbersach. Very nice. Which means Kenneth the Conqueror. Oh, that's very good. Or alternatively, Croate. Mm. Kenneth the Hardy. I'd prefer, I'd prefer Conqueror. Kenneth the Conqueror. Yeah. 
Yeah. But is he a conqueror? Mm, go on, let's, let's, let's find have out. a find out. <laughs> the traditional accounts mm. of Kenneth and his place in Scottish history is that he is the first king of, well, of the Scots, right. of Scotland. He's this heroic founding father of the nation, unites the Picts and the Scots to see off the Vikings. Okay. But and then forms the new nation, Scotland. How do the Picts feel about that? Well, alternatively, some people suggest that actually he conquered the Picts and then created a country which sort of sees off the Vikings. And we've still then got the Britons and the Saxons. we still got the Britons, we still got the Saxons. Okay. And we've still got the Vikings. majority of Scotland then is there. Exactly. Okay. But it's not necessarily quite the case. Right. question that a lot of historians have to ask actually is where he even comes from. Because well, we're assuming that he comes from Scotland. Yeah. In this period, that would mean he's from Dalriata, so uh-huh. on the west of Scotland. Yeah. And indeed, there is an official genealogy which shows that he is descended from Fergus Moore, who was the legendary sort of first king yeah. of Dalriata, and that goes down through his son, his son, his son, um, all the way down until we get to Alpin, who's his dad, and then Kenneth. So, his dad wasn't known as MacAlpin either. McAlpin. No, no, he was just Ma- Alpin. McAlpin. <laughs> He's just Alpin. Why didn't he have son of? Well, it's Alpin, so I suppose he should have been uh, Alpin Mac Yokai. Right. But, uh, okay. yeah. Well, anyway, there's a problem with this genealogy because there seem to be a few generations missing hmm. in this line. So there's kind of a spell where somebody seems to have lived for a few hundred years. It's pretty good going, though, isn't it, to have a genealogy at all at this, po- at this point? Well, it's done retrospectively. So it's done later medieval period, and that's the problem. That Kenneth, because he's seen as this opening, as this first king, Mm. they think, right, so we now need to have this proper genealogy so we can have this sort of proper national story. Yeah, let's work it backwards and make this official. Exactly. Um, Alpin himself, you're asking about why he isn't Mac of whoever. One of his problems, actually, there's very little evidence for who he was or what he did at all beyond the fact that he was Kenneth's father. Mm. So there's a strong suggestion that he probably was never actually a king of Dalriata at all. Right. Um, he was just Ken's dad. <laughs> and they thought, well, we've got to make him look good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that may be why he's a conqueror. Okay. That may be why he's a conqueror. He's an outsider. Another issue is even if he's actually properly Scots at all. Because while um, Kinaid MacAlpin is a Gaelic name, Kiniod of Elfin is Pictish. Where and, does that come from? Well, because... Kiniod, I mean, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but we don't know how the Picts exactly pronounce it, uh, was an 8th century name for Pictish rulers. Right. Whereas Alpin wasn't actually used that much in Ireland and Scotland, and Kenneth is relatively new as a name. Right. So it almost suggests that actually that might be... So it is leading to his conqueror, though, isn't it? Well, but actually, if he's got this sort of Pictish background, then maybe he's not so much of a conqueror at all, but a sort of a murky... Uh... Right. Put in one camp. Some have speculated that it may be that his mother was from a Pictish royal family. And his dad? And his dad from perhaps a junior branch of the Dowry Arden, so he might have been from Galloway. So he's must okay. have, he must have had some relation to royals, because otherwise he would never have got yeah. support. So this leads to how on earth he became king? Well, of course, he has the benefit that in 839 the Pictish kings are... Oh yeah, they're wiped gone. out, and probably it may have had the king of Dalriata was in that battle as well, and also killed. Right. So you probably have all these kings and their sons, etc., all wiped out. Power vacuum. Exactly. There's a power vacuum. The Pictish king. This suggests that actually it's, it didn't just go battle of eight three nine, 
and then Kenneth. But actually, there are potentially two lines of succession, but what we really see is lots of very short reigns, one after the other, that the mm. pigs record. So we've got Urad from 839 to 42, uh, Bridai VI, also 842, Kinyod, 843, Bridai VII, 843 to 45, and Drust the Tenth, 845 to 48. Right, so it was a bit, it sounds a bit uh, anarchic. Sounds quite chaotic, and that implies that there's a battle for the succession. Yeah. And certainly that they're rivals. So if Kenneth, we've got the date of 843, might be when he becomes king in Dalriata. Mm. But then others suggest maybe 848 is the point at which he's seen off. Okay, so that was the two dates at the start. Yes, that's why we had those two dates. So he must have become King Dariata first, which is why I said the 843. The Pictish kings may just have had a bit of a rump territory rather than having control over the whole lot because Mm. they must be from a junior line as well. Mm. Um, But what actually happens? Some suggest. Kenneth the Conqueror, that he fights them in battle and wins. Yeah. And maybe a series of battles, but once that's done, mm-hmm. he comes in, conquering Ken. Lovely. Yeah. Alternatively, maybe there was some kind of coup that he engineers. Right. So he sort of sees them off by slightly less yeah. salubrious means. Okay. That hidden sword. Yeah. Ah, oh, very good. Um, or maybe the kingdoms just merge because if his mother was from a royal line maybe these are minor kings and actually he's come in early on staked his claim and then just has to see yeah, them maybe off. it just made sense exactly yeah. and they're just rivals that eventually he sees off mm. either way by 848 he yeah. has won yeah, and he is king of Dariata and of the Picts okay so there we are there we are but where are the Picts yeah what's happened to them because a lot of medieval chroniclers noted that the Picts at this point just completely disappear from the record. Because they're... Because... Yeah, because they're now known as Scots. And he's amalgamated the two and he's... Mm, but even things like the language, the culture, the artwork, mm. all the stuff that they used to do just seems to stop suddenly. Maybe that's the conqueror bit, though. That's, he's, he's conquered and replaced like uh, the... Um, uh, William, his mm. namesake. Indeed. Uh, the Normans. The uh, French. Yeah, and the Saxons. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, so um, Archdeacon of Huntingdon in 1140 noted that uh, we see that the Picts have now been wiped out and their language also is totally destroyed so that they seem to be a fable we find mentioned in old writings. When did he write that? So that's in the 1140s. Hmm. So, I mean, that's a few centuries later, but actually not that many. Yeah. To think they're completely gone. Now, the Saxons don't completely disappear. They're just not yeah, in charge like, when William Yeah, they, we're, they're... Sort of bred in yeah. with the population. But so the English language survives, yeah. ultimately, but with the Pict it seems to go. So there are a few theories as to what happened. Okay. One is genocide. Okay, okay. Well, fingers, <laughs> fingers, fingers hovering over the vowel. Kenneth comes in and literally just kills them all off, or mm. kills enough of them that everything that they had before just yeah. goes. And yeah. as you say, it's now all Scottish. Yeah. Alternatively, maybe there was a bit more of just a union and a merger. Mm, boring. So they kind of just merged into one kingdom. So it's not that the Picts died out and their culture died, they just... You'd expect to see some evidence then, mm. if that were the case. Subsumed. Alternatively, maybe it's a bit more murky. Like you said, maybe it's like the Normans, where you've got the Gales, the Scots mm. at the top, and the Picts are down there at the bottom. So it's not that they suddenly disappear, it's just that... Yeah. No one in charge is writing or doing anything. Yeah, kind of stuff. and by the time it is written down with our old Archbishop Huntington, hmm. that's what, 300 years later, that's enough time for it to just 
be phased out. Exactly. So, some evidence for each of those. Okay. The Scotty Chronicon. Uh, yeah, go on. With the tales. It was not only the kings and leaders of that people that were destroyed in this way, but its whole stock and race also is said to have been lost together with its own distinctive language. Okay, so that's that's Exhibit A for Theory A. Yes, that's the genocide approach. Okay. That's part of an account of how Kenneth just destroys them. Mm. Continuity, the merger, the happy union mm. of the two peoples. It is true that actually, for about 50 or so years before, the Scots have already started migrating east towards the Pictland. Right. So because the Vikings have been attacking them... Oh, they were, naturally pushed that way, yeah. They move inland. Mm. And the Columban Church which we got with the Scots, which is based in Iona, mm. that's very influential. So maybe they're coming over and really pushing people to follow their sort of way of doing religion, their language, their culture. It's already yeah. starting. Well, they're the only ones who really write, aren't they? Mm. The monks and everything? Yeah. yeah. Mm. So maybe it's not actually that Kenneth comes in and does all of this in the 840s. Actually, it kind of already started. Right. Okay. And then Kenneth replaces the aristocracy, at which point I guess that cements it, but actually you could say it was already mm-hmm. a process that had started. Or you could argue that that's unlikely, because a peaceful merger, where you get this rather junior sort of chap from the Scots that suddenly comes over and gets rid of all of these kings, the fact yeah. that you've got sort of five or so in a row with very yeah. Pictish names suggests that there was resistance. Yeah, I mean, when has that ever, ever occurred? Exactly. They happily rolled over and let tickle their tummies. Exactly. Even today, when we're all... No one really wants to go to war, and we've got quite a lot of um, social media where we can communicate with the enemy, really, and see they're just normal people. Mm. Still, it's unlikely that it will just go off without a hitch. You assume there must have been some kind of conflict, some kind of violence. Yeah, I I like the genocide. <laughs> you too. That's just your preference yeah, there. Yeah. So, the important thing for this episode is that each one of those theories has quite a big impact on how we're going to view yeah. Kenneth McAlpin. Yeah. If we see a genocide, then we've got him brutally conquering the Picts, mm-hmm. which is you know good for battliness, but maybe not the nicest thing yeah. to do. Uh, if we have a merger, then that actually means that Kenneth becoming king isn't such a big deal. So, it's, yeah, Leicester X Factory, maybe. It's Leicester X Factory, because actually it's not anything new, mm. it's just he's a new man rather than a new sort of yeah. movement as such. But, mm. good for the subjectivity, yes. if he comes in and just takes over from all this chaos. Yes, exactly. All of this is a prelude, of course, to what he actually does as king. Yeah, okay. Now, what we've got in terms of the accounts of the reign is relatively brief, which is why I've done so much of a preamble, (laughs) because there is some debate. The predominant theme seems to be effectively warfare. Jolly, good. He does a lot of fighting. Brilliant. Um, And I think what we're going to do is go to the Chronicle of the Kings of Alba Mm -hmm. and uh, give their account of Kenneth's reign in full. I wish they did pictures. It's a shame. Mm -hmm. It is a shame. Um, So this is after he's conquered the Picts, which they introduced with. In the seventh year of his rule, he transferred the remains of St. Columba to the church which he built, and he attacked Saxonia six times, and he burnt down Dunbar and captured Melrose. However, the Britons burnt down Dunblane, and the Danes laid waste to Pictavia as far as Cluny and Dunkeld. He finally died of a tumour before the Ides of February, on the third day of the week, in the palace of Forteviot. Full stop. 
That is the that reign is a, of Kenneth McAlphin. So he did a lot of war and then got a horrible tumour yes. and died. But we know exactly when and where. We do know. So that's the 13th of February and, well, Wednesday, I suppose. Yeah. Third day of the week. Brilliant. Okay. Unless they count Sunday as being the first. Always. Wednesday or Thursday. Well, that's not quite accurate enough. Mm, tricky, tricky. Oh, hang on. That'd be Wednesday or Tuesday. Yes, it? it would. Yeah. yeah. Whoops. Mm-hmm. Um, what we do know um, is that uh, he was buried on Iona. Mm-hmm. Which is sort of traditional location for the Dowry Arts and Kings. Is he still there? I mean, presumably he's still there, but I mean, can you, has he got a <laughs> tomb or anything? Um, I'm not sure that it's a clearly demarked right. grave as such, but I don't know, actually, maybe there is, because yeah. quite a few of them are buried there. Well, let us know if you've been there and you've seen it. Yes, mm-hmm. indeed. Um, and also, we've got a uh, thing from Ireland, mm-hmm. um, the fragmentary annals of Ireland. Right. Um, Sounds painful. Who uh, said that because Kenneth, with many troops, lives no longer, there is weeping in every house. There is no king of his worth under heaven as far as the borders of Rome. Because there was no world. Well, maybe. Okay. But you know, it suggests a man of some standing. Yeah. We did a lot of battle in America, and they were just scared of him. Or maybe. Well, let's find out how much battle he did. This is his main thing. That's all we got, isn't it? Well, well, we'll see. Okay. We'll see. Um, the chroniclers all do seem to focus on his achievements in mm. warfare and suggest that that's pretty much most of what the reign entails. Yeah. But also that he's pretty successful overall. So it's kind of some promising stuff yeah. here to look forward to. Firstly, he becomes king. Yeah. I mean, step one. Yeah. Becomes and as you said, he's come from pretty relatively humble origins, mm. it seems quite obscure and yet defeats this long succession well it doesn't this depend kings. what theory we're going to go with well it does a bit but the picks do list these other kings yeah so somehow or other they all die quite soon after each other yeah so if we assume let's assume for the moment that Kenneth is being quite militant and mm. strong and hardy mm-hmm. and no. conquery <laughs> yeah um, we've got all those kings for sort of five years which suggests he to a certain extent has to fight his way to the throne. Yeah. And he overcomes quite a few of them. Yeah. Which implies that he must be pretty decent. That's a pretty good go. He knows what he's yeah. doing in battle. Now, let's assume that he did conquer the Picts. In a, in a sort of battle rather than, than by in politics. A, in a proper battle way, yeah. let's assume that he conquered the Picts. And let's, let's go to the Scotty Chronicon to see exactly yeah. how he did it. Scotty Chronicon. <laughs> what he did was um, he assembled all his magnates mm. and he got them together... And he said... Do we know this? We just This is Scotty Chronicle. Okay, right, yeah. So, mm. unimpeachable right. evidence. <laughs> he got them together and he said, right, we need to attack the Picts, and there are four reasons why we need to do it. Oh, he should have done the Power of Three. Well, that's, that's the thing. They didn't have yeah. that quite... He obviously wasn't aware of no. the Cicero and the Roman orators. Firstly, he wished to be avenged for the brutal killing of his father and of his kinsmen recently slain in battle. Fair enough. That seems fairly fair. So that's implying that Alpin... The father was killed by the Picts in battle. And that he's got a lot of loyalty from these people. That That's not really reason enough for someone else to put a lot of their lives at risk. Secondly, because of the theft of one hunting dog that was stolen from the Scots by the Picts. It's getting weaker. That's that's an odd argument to make. Your yeah. second thing on the list. Yeah. Secondly, my dog. <laughs> they stole wow. Kenneth's dog. What, do we know what it's called? Scotty, presumably. Scotty, yeah. exactly. Yeah. What else did you call yeah. the dog? Thirdly, the Picts had allied themselves with the pagan Saxons against the Scots. Is that true? Probably not. Okay. Mm. Fourthly, 
Pictavia belonged to the Scots, and the Picts had agreed to marry their daughters and choose their kings from the female line. So the Picts marry the Scottish girls, and then it's from that matrilineal line that the kings come. And he doesn't like that? Well, and they, apparently they're not doing it anymore. Okay. They've right. gone against their rule. So, four very good reasons but, yeah, I mean, why solid ground. you've got to invade the Picts. But the magnates are a bit scared. Of him? Of the Picts. Oh. Um, like idiots or weaklings, according to the Scottish Chronicon. And they told Kenneth that they might refuse even if an angel were to order them to go into battle because they were more fearful than women, or, if one may say so, than leverets. What? So, oh, like a, a rabbit. rabbit? Yes. If one may say so. <laughs> and a bit of the time there, going, me, politically but correctness gone mad. <laughs> exactly. um, does an angel appear? Because my finger is hovering over this button. Well, Kenneth uh, has got a cunning plan. <laughs> um, Mr B? Well, because they haven't totally ruled out refusing an angel, they said they might refuse it, but they haven't said they definitely would. <laughs> oh, brilliant, go on. He implies a craftsman to create a disguise for him to wear. I was joking! That's <laughs> phenomenal! I mean, it is phenomenal, well, actually, yeah. So this, this is the uh, description of what exactly he does. So, he carefully took some scaly fish skins, which shine with a kind of brilliance in the darkness of night, and used them cunningly to adorn a cloak, which sparkled as if with the shining feathers of angels. He put it on so that it completely covered the appearance of his whole body. My, I am in disbelief. <laughs> it goes on. Clad in this kind of garment, he secretly entered the magnate's bedrooms by night in the form of an angel and amazingly deluded their senses. Yeah, amazingly, quite right, amazingly. Exhorting them in the name of the living God, he ordered them to obey all their king's commands and in particular not to quail at the prospect of destroying the kingdoms of the Picts. That's incredible. Which God is he talking about? Are they Christian at this point? Yes, they're Christian, yes. Oh, so he's an so. angel yeah, yeah. of God. Right. Um, why don't all uh, kings think of this? Just get them. Angels going to come and say, "Just do everything this fellow says." <laughs> uh, fish scales. Uh, um, oh my word! So the next morning, magnates come down and they're like, "You know what? Um, we saw an angel last <laughs> night, and he pretty much convinced us that we ought to go into battle." Yeah, I, I saw. That. Was he like a bit fishy, smelling a bit? I saw the same thing. <laughs> Amazing. And uh, sure enough, they go into battle and destroy the Picts. Oh. Those angels, those fishy angels, perfect. Exactly. I mean, you might wonder how convincing a disguise that would have been. Mm. But I was thinking, to be fair to the Pictish magnates, if you're you're a sort of you know tenth century, early ninth century Pictish magnate, uh, Scottish magnate, your king Kenneth has been waving his sword around, complaining that uh, the Pict have stolen his dog. Yeah. And then about two o'clock in the morning, you wake up and he's standing there covered in fish, telling you he's an angel of God. <laughs> You've got to invade. <laughs> It's yeah. probably best just to go along with yeah, it. Yeah, he's lost it. He's absolutely lost it. The exact veracity of that tale, perhaps we don't know, but something he definitely does do, apparently, is invade Saxonia six times. And this probably just means the Saxon territory, mm. so Northumbria. Uh, this is after he's dealt with the Picts. After he's yeah. dealt with the Picts, right. he then goes off and uh, attacks Northumbria. Probably separate expeditions south of the Forth, probably separate years. Um, but the specifics we have was that he plundered a Venetian fortress at Dunbar yeah. and then a monastery at Melrose. So these are both now in Scotland, but at the time that was part of Northumbria. Mm, okay. Um, so it's probably just raiding for plunder rather than expanding 
territory. Uh, to fund any... With the idea to fund any campaign or just get rich quick? Uh, well, get rich quick and you've got to see off the Vikings and all oh, these yeah, sorts of things. So Vikings you've got stuff around. to be doing. Feeding yourself as well because mm. the sea isn't... They haven't got quite as much access with the yeah. Vikings sailing around. But again, that demonstrates his power that like six times yeah. he's going south attacking Northumbria... Who themselves are having trouble with the Vikings. Who themselves, exactly, without Kenneth coming along and yeah, doing causing awkwardness. Business, but yeah. you think he's come from being this quite obscure guy, Dalriata, takes over the Picts, and now he's invading Northumbrians. Yeah. And that he must be strong enough that this is at a time when the Vikings are really yeah. raiding everybody, but he's got and he's time been, to Yeah, quite, and off. time to really boost his fancy dress box. Exactly. Right. I mean, he, yeah. <laughs> so his territory probably stretches over both sides of what was called the Adrium Alban, which is a sort of mountain range which had previously demarcated territory between Scots on the west, Picts on the east, probably the Grampians right. uh, nowadays. And the Scottish Chronicon said that he confirmed and ratified his possession of the whole kingdom from the River Tyne next to Northumbria to the Orkney Islands. That's huge. Mm. So that's really going all the way up. That's Newcastle up? Yes. that's Northumbria, isn't Well, it? yes, I don't know how far up the Tyne goes. Oh, I see, I just thought it was one bank or the other. So it might have been right at the source if it yeah. comes to the north, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Technically, yeah. this little patch <laughs> yeah, of wet, wet grass is yeah. the time. Uh, but so, that's quite impressive battliness that we've got it there. It is. We do have some buts. Mm. Go on. If we assume that actually he just merged kingdoms with the Picts, mm. and he didn't go conquering them what, dressed up as a fishy angel, <laughs> then we lose a little bit of that battliness. We also see in this period the re-emergence of Strathclyde, which is the native Britons in the southwest of Scotland. Right, yes. So they've been under the thumb of the Picts, but the Battle of 839 seems to give them a bit of a renaissance as well. Because they've got no one... Yeah, no yeah, one. They, yeah, exactly. And, as we said in the um, Chronicle of the Kings of Alba, they're said to have burnt Dunblane, mm. which was sort of southern territory for Kenneth. Oh, dear. So rather than people attacking them, they've now actually been able to push out a little bit so uh, he could have been, should have included that in his list not his dog he should have said about Dunblane ah but that's the Britons and not the Picts oh yes right mm. confusing yeah, and is that as good a reason as somebody stealing your dog certainly not exactly um, but in fairness to Kenneth he then makes a marriage alliance with the Britons um, with the Britons one of his daughters and mm-hmm. uh, a British prince so that seems to see off and ends there aren't any more raids and counter-raids at mm. this point so it's just a one-off incident really rather than you know a big full-scale invasion but so he's got a bit of politics there as well though, politics which we'll come yeah. back to of course the biggies of course are the vikings mm. they're the real threat um and this period of major activity uh prudentius of Troyes or troyes in 847 said that the northmen also got control of the islands all around ireland and stayed there without encountering any resistance from anyone and the fact that in Ireland there aren't any chronicles saying, oh God, they've invaded everywhere, suggests mm. that he probably means sort of inner Hebrides, i.e. the Scottish. Right, ones that the Irish didn't claim as their own. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. In 848, um, it was mentioned that Columba's relics are moved. Mm. So they were on the island of Iona, but Iona's been abandoned by the monks. Now Kenneth thinks, right, we'd probably better move his bones now because we can't protect. Yeah, that so he's like, he's anymore. retreating. Well, yes, I mean, he's retreating to his now much larger kingdom, but nevertheless, he's had to bring those relics inland because yeah. the Vikings have obviously got control of the seas. Yeah. 
And there is uh, one raid where they were said to have got as far as Cluny and Dunkeld, which is quite far inland, sort of from the east. So it's by the River Tay, sort of quite north of Perth mm. nowadays. But, you know, that's relatively central, so that's quite a long way in. Yeah. Obviously, with their long boats, they, Vikings, can, they can get everywhere. do those on the rivers. But, in Kenneth's defence, Ireland and England, both suffering heavily in this period, but to only have one really serious raid noted in this whole period... Yeah. Isn't too bad, and given the fact that he was raiding Northumbria, it may even have been when he was raiding Northumbria that they just sort of sneaked in. Yeah, and I suppose if he if he feels he's strong enough to raid Northumbria, hmm. he's, he you'd put your resources into consolidating before you'd expand. So maybe maybe he's got a bit there. And he was said to have employed a man called Gothrith Ferguson, hmm. who was half Scot, half Norse, Uh-oh. to come and settle in the west to try and secure Argyll from oh. further raids. Oh, good news! Right, so yeah. it may have been that actually he sort of limited some of those raids by yeah. a little bit of a canny line, so he yeah. got an eye on it. Yeah, good stuff. So that's Kenneth and Badliness. What are we thinking? Our first scoring of the new series. It? It's tricky. Well, we were saying this earlier, that it's tricky when um, we don't have anyone to compare him to. We don't. So we don't have the... Uh, we don't have a baseline. Mm. Um, well, it, I think it's got, it's got to be good, really, mm. hasn't it? Whatever... Um, however you think... How you decide he got to power, whichever theory, mm. he then did do a lot of battliness. Yeah. Never defeated. No, doesn't suggest it is, no. Oh, Dies yeah. in bed of a tumour, not killed. Yeah. yeah. As we'll see by later kings, not being killed as a king is quite an impressive feat for right. the Scots. Okay. We'll find out very impressive. Um, so I'd say good. Mm. I'd say good overall. And, I mean, I'll save it to the end, really, for, mm. but... So many extra points for his fancy dress. Exactly. You know how much I like fancy I dress. Do. Thank you. You've got, so you've got to include that. <laughs> so, what's your score going to be? Out of ten for you, and I'll give an out of ten as well. We'll combine those scores. Well, I quite like this one because, it, as far as getting a baseline goes, because it's a bit murky. Mm-hmm. I can't give him a perfect score. No. It's obviously not rubbish. Yeah. So, I'm going to go for a seven. Hmm, I was thinking a 7 as well, that's very oh, boring as the 2, but I do think that's pretty good. So that's a 14 for Bathliness. A good start, Kenneth. Scandal! We've got that uh, hidden sword. Yeah. There's a hint of maybe a bit of skullduggery, mm-hmm. and we do have some accounts to suggest that Brilliant. that is not unwarranted. Love this. Now, we just mentioned uh, at the end of Bathliness there, Gothrith Ferguson, mm-hmm. half Scot, half Norse. And there are some sort of vague suggestions that maybe he might have been a little bit in league with the Vikings, to a certain extent. That's what he wanted, though, isn't it? Just to make them not raid? Exactly. So the Chronicle of Huntingdon claims that he conquered the Picts just after the Vikings inflicted a big defeat on them, mm. almost as if there was an element of sort of organisation right. there, like he knew yeah. that that was coming along. There are rival Vikings at this point, because it's not just one united Viking nation. It's, mm. That's basically just a generic term for any raiders from Scandinavia. Yeah. So you've got Norse Vikings and you've got Danish Vikings. And they don't get on either. Right? And they don't get on. So um, actually there's quite a bit of conflict between them, 840s and 50s, until Olaf the White, who is Norse, establishes kingdom in Dublin. Did we ever, did, when we t- talked about the Vikings 4, like with uh, Bluetooth, mm. we talked about that, about the factions between the Vikings, didn't we? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. And eventually they, they unite... Don't they? Well, the kingdoms, in terms of what we've now recognised as the nations like Denmark, Norway, become 
a whole kingdom. Oh, uh, but they don't... But you don't get Norway and Denmark as yeah. one. But, so what we do have um, is then a Norse king in Dublin. Mm. So it's Dublin's a Viking. So the Irish were over there all that time, giving it all that, saying how the Scots are in trouble, and it's the only, we're the only ones recording it all. <laughs> and then they, they go and... They're getting they, it. They're they're getting they, it how do they like it? Crikey, Moses. But it's interesting that the raid that Kenneth suffers seems to be kind of maybe from the east. Mm. And maybe he doesn't really suffer so much from the west. So they're suggesting that he maybe makes an accommodation with the Norse Vikings, and it's the Danes that come in on the east. Right. So yeah. he's, he's made made a deal okay. with them back. And it puts Ireland uh, more at risk if, if the, his west flank is mm. somewhat protected. Yeah. More impressive for scandal, though, mm. is the treachery of Schoon. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. This relates to how Kenneth becomes king. Mm. So we're assuming here that he didn't defeat them in one big battle. Yes. But he may have used a little bit of skullduggery to eliminate his rivals. We had that problem of all of these rivals for the throne. Mm. So Ken's solution is to invite his Pictish rivals, led by King Drust, King Drest X, to come along to a peace conference. Oh, uh, is this like the peace conference, the... That Braveheart shows with Edward I and they're all hanging in a barn. Well, what? Um, oh, it's, in a way, it's almost the opposite. Right. What come, happens is they all come along, leave your party bags, party bags, with their own heads inside. <laughs> they come along to the banquet, get rather drunk yeah. and well fed. Brilliant. But what they don't realise, the picks, is that their bench is actually attached by bolts because what Kenneth and his men have done is dig little hole underneath the benches. What? So at the relevant point in the evening when they're suitably inebriated, Kenneth gives the signal, they remove the bolts, and then the pits will fall down into a pit. Huh. And the more colourful accounts suggest that they're impaled on spikes, but more likely they're just kind of trapped, sort of at waist height, and then the Scots just come along, kill them from above... And that's the end of Kenneth's rivals for the throne. That is genius. In fact, that's exactly like Doctor Evil. The chairs <laughs> that go into the pit. The pit. Yeah. That's oh, one point. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. So you see, rather than being hung up, like oh, yes, you know, so yeah, they yeah. go down. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, indeed, there's later on. There's um, a chronicle of the canons of Huntington in the 13th century claim that Kenneth fought the pit seven times in one day which could be a reference to the fact that he kills seven earls in one day at yeah. this banquet. Right. So Rick a few well, little legends yeah, around this. Lovely. Gerald of Wales believed it. Yeah. So. Yeah, he, oh, I like that man. Man Gerald. of beer, he's from. Very nice castle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good. So what we've got with Kenneth then is uh, quite a crafty yeah. individual. We combine this with him dressing up as an angel. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what he was dressed as that night. <laughs> the angel of death. Exactly. So he you know, tricks his men by dressing up as an angel, a fishy mm. angel. He's got this special bench that he constructs mm. and knocks them down there. As you said, like Dr. Evil, he's got a bit of a sort of Bond villainy yeah. sort of thing going on with a very elaborate way. It's not just let's just rush in and kill them. Let's take their swords and then Yeah, stab I mean, them. easy enough to do a red wedding type thing. Yeah, but he's saying, yeah. no, we're going to get this bench. It's going to be an incredibly <laughs> elaborate plan. Presumably yeah. he left before he yeah, saw yeah. that everyone was killed. And again. like a perfect Bond villain told them what was going to happen <laughs> just before he did it. But to be fair, it does seem suspicious that there's like all 
those kings all in a row that don't last very long. Yeah. There must have been a bit of foul play. Yeah, it's got to be something there. Hasn't a bit it? of foul play mm. involved. And some may have been battle skirmishes, mm. some may have been more underhand. Okay. So that's not too bad. It's not too bad at all. Against him, all I've really got is that unfortunately there aren't any nuns. No. There's no bedroom antics uh, that are recorded for right. Kenneth. And, I mean, obviously we have to take all of these accounts with a certain amount of uh, salt. Yeah. Being pinched. Uh, yeah. Um, but he's got some fancy dress in there. Got a bit of fancy dress. He's crafty. Yeah. Bit of brutality. And it's the fact, it's not just that it's murder, but that it's... Really elaborate murder. Elaborate murder. Yeah. But that murder has to be taken with a pinch of salt. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and just give a solid five. Mm. I'm going to give him uh, I'm going to give him six and a half. Okay. And I'm just going to go up that little more because I just like the fact that even though we've got to take these stories with a pinch of salt, the fact that we have all these different ones for this king who should be esteemed, yeah. he's esteemed by them, but nevertheless there are all these accounts of him being quite crafty uh, and a bit underhand. Mm. So I quite... You know, that is a no smoke without fire. Okay. That's what I'm saying on that mm. one. Anyway, so we combine those scores. That's 11 and a half. Subjectivity. Now, what we've heard thus far doesn't necessarily suggest a man who is going to be quite as caring and softy. He's nasty, not a patron of the arts. Actually. Surely. Perhaps not a patron of the arts. But we do have some things that maybe deserve to give him some credit as... A decent ruler. Right. And particularly if we compare to the chaos that has gone before, would you want to be a subject? Maybe mm. you might say, well, there's evidence that he's better than it's been right. before. Firstly, Columba. He was ages ago, wasn't he? Columba was ages ago. He was uh, sort of late 6th, early 7th, well, no, just late 6th century. Mm. And uh, he was famed for coming over from Ireland, centre of sort of Scottish Christianity, and he also scared away the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah. So he's kind of a Scottish patron, well, the Dowry Arden patron saint. He gets done over by Andrew for the big job of what, patron saintdom. Oh, yes, of Scotland, of course, yeah. yeah. Um, but so his, he is buried on uh, Iona, and he's something of a talisman for the Dowry Arden, so his relic's seen as a sort of source of battle magic. Mm-hmm. And the church itself has been very influential, as we said. Lindisfarne was established by monks from Iona. It's, you know, it's all very... Uh, symbolically important for the Ionians. And 848, his relics are transferred to a church at Dunkeld, i.e. much further inland. And it's suggested that Kenneth himself personally makes this decision. Oh, you'd imagine that would be the case, though, with something that important. Mm. And it's significant, that's 848 is the year which he said to have finished off all the Picts. Right. So this almost is quite a symbolic thing, that he's putting the heart of the Dariatans of Columba, and he's sticking it right in the middle of his new... Yeah, Marshall which gives him more um, gives him more battliness scores because I'd sort of mm. shown, seen that as a sign of weakness mm. that he can't act, actively defend that part of Scotland. But actually, maybe it's a sign of mm. conquer. Yes, conquest. But that demonstrates also this quite Scottish outlook as well. The fact that he's putting that there at the centre, but that yeah. does at least give us a sense of him caring about something beyond just. Stabbing people in pits. Yeah, he's got a sense of identity and future. And symbolism. Yeah. And which is quite important as a king to have that ability to think big. And his palace is based at Forteviot, which is a Pictish palace. Yeah, this definitely that is definitely that, isn't it? Mm. He's he's that's where it is he's a conqueror. Yeah. And Forteviot is quite interesting because it's not really a fortress, it's not on a defensive position, it doesn't have evidence of fortified enclosures. 
And the Pictish Kings before had had artistic stuff there. And had well, been... it's just a, like a hall. Well, yeah, it's just a big hall, a big sort of palace, wow. basically. And they've been emulating Charlemagne and this kind of thing. Mm. And this is where Kenneth bases himself. Which partly, again, shows us that powerful conqueror thing that he's right in the heartland of what used to be where yeah. the Picts hung out. Yeah. But also maybe implies a bit of a hinterland of liking the finer things yeah. in life. That he's yeah. actually, you know, goes to this palace, he lives there, he dies there. Yeah, I suppose if you create a base, mm. the natural thing to do is to start settling and producing stuff that isn't just war. Yeah. Make it nicer. Yeah. So even though maybe there's not a lot of evidence of the niceness, mm. there must have been some times where he wasn't fighting and he was just sort of chilling out. So someone draw me a picture, please. <laughs> Let's do fancy dress. Yeah, that's it. Anyone good with fish scales? <laughs> Another legend associated with <clears throat> associated with Kenneth is uh, the Stone of Schoon. Oh, yeah, no, that's very important. Uh, this is a coronation stone of the Scottish monarchs. It's basically just a plain block of sandstone. Yeah, I've seen it. Indeed, because it was previously in England for several centuries. Why was that? Uh, well, it was because uh, certain Edward the First, oh, I believe, of course he did the little scamp, nicked it yes. from the Scots. So there's lots of debate about whether they, he had the real one or if they gave him a fake and all this sort of yeah. stuff. Um, it has now been given back, but only Tony in, Blair did it. Didn't yeah, it's yeah. only in the late nineties. Yeah, which considering that the Scots actually became king of Britain, but they didn't bother to send it back. That's true. Yeah, yeah James the First could easily have done that. Couldn't yeah. He? I wonder why it wasn't seen as so important maybe it wasn't quite so important well I guess well, I mean it was sort of on the royal chair so I guess he wanted it to be where he was rather than mm. it was underneath the throne yeah, wasn't it yeah exactly so right anyway um, the legend of the origin is that um, Jacob of biblical fame as in Jesus' dad the, ja- yeah, the Jacob <laughs> no that's Joseph oh who's Jacob then um, he's he's an older testament isn't he his Old Testament Jacob, Jacob yeah, yeah and he has kids yes who fight yes that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay Brilliant. anyway Jacob falls asleep with his head on a pillow of stone silly sounds very comfortable yeah. um, an Egyptian pharaoh's daughter called Skota marries a Celtic prince and seems unlikely brings the stone back with her to Ireland why why wouldn't you Right. Other than okay. the fact that it's just a plain block of stone well, the way he's put that Jacob has right. slept on. Um, it then comes to be used in Ireland as a coronation stone for their high kings until it's taken to Dalriata by Fergus Moore mm. for his coronation in Scotland. Right. And then they just keep it there, thereafter. Until Edward. Well, they, initially it's at Dunat, mm. which is in Dalriata, but then Kenneth, like with... Um, uh, what's his face? Like with Columba, oh. moves the coronation stone to Schoon right and that's why it's then so actually it's a a lot older than Scotland it's existed in Ireland before it's a lot lot older than the first Scottish king well I mean I definitely would be sceptical about the uh, Jacob sleeping on it and about this Scota I mean I've seen it it's too big for a pillow (laughs) it's horrible Um, also apparently tests have been done and the stone is from Schoon it's from the nearby area Right. So it hasn't travelled all around okay. the world. Yeah. Um, but also, actually, the confusion because uh, the Leah file uh, or Leah foil in Ireland um, is actually still there. 
Right. So they have a coronation stone, which is on the hill of Tara in County Meath. So the Scots definitely didn't take it. It's still in Ireland. How would they get away with that kind of outrageous exactly. lie? If you thought at some point to be like, guys, can we have that back now? Yeah. You've had it for like 300 years. and Yeah. You know. mm, still got our own one. Mm. But either way, it's another way in which Kenneth is associated with this very key part of the beginning of the Scottish nation, the coronation stone. Whether or not it came from Ireland, maybe there was a stone nearby. Mm-hmm. Kenneth might have set it up. Okay. He might not have done, but it's another legend. This is where the legend starts. More solid ground, mm-hmm. even more solid than a stone, <laughs> are his marriage... Sandstone. Well, that's true, yeah. that's true. Uh, his marriage alliances. Mm. So he said about Strathclyde, so he married one of his daughters to Rune, who is the son of King Artgal, and thus the heir to Strathclyde. Which is a separate <clears throat> kingdom. Which point. is a separate kingdom. Right. So that's quite good. As you said, it stops the raiding, counter-raiding, mm-hmm. but also demonstrates quite skilled diplomacy that he's sorting it out, not necessarily through war, but through something yeah, yeah. a bit more sensible. And also his second daughter, Mile Muir, uh, marries Eth Finlath, or Finleith, who is High King in Ireland. Ooh, good and alliance. Now then he dies, mm, so okay. she marries his cousin, who is the next High King in Ireland, Flansinna. Right. And she is also then the mother to another High King, Neil Glundob. But when then the Vikings come in and, and sit on the throne? Well, that's just Dublin. Oh, right. The King of Dublin, not King of uh, yeah. all of Ireland. Okay. So again, we've got lots of different clans yeah. and kingdoms. But so that, and she's actually mentioned, her death is mentioned in the Annals of Ulster in 913, which is very unusual because usually only men mm. get mentioned. So well, she's obviously she, considered. She had to be, I suppose. She was involved with so many of them. Well, yeah, married to two kings, the mother of one. Mm. And then we show, and that all comes back to Kenneth, and that he's actually quite a useful ancestor for sort of Irish high kings that can mm. trace yeah. their roots to Kenneth. Okay. And two of his sons become king of Scotland as well. So we've oh, got, spoiler alert. Well, you know. <laughs> but so that's showing he's really, obviously, a significant figure at the time, that he's marrying one daughter to the son of the king of Strathclyde, yeah. he's marrying another one to the high king in yeah. Ireland. He's and they accept those uh, marriage licenses, so they see him as a very solid king as well. Yeah, and someone worth dealing mm, with. So yeah. he's obviously an individual of note. Right. Yeah. And making good political alliances. Yeah. So that's pretty good. Pretty good. Against him. Yeah. If we're to believe that there was the Pictish genocide, yeah. then that reflects to a certain extent badly on Kenneth's <laughs> moral fibre. If you're a Pict under yes. his rule, yes. he's probably not looking good. Um, the uh, Chronicle of the Kings of Alva said that the Picts, whom, as we said... Kenneth destroyed. Mm. And the Scotty Chronicon said that so great was the fury which he raged not only against men, but also against women and small children, that he spared neither sex nor any uh, any holy orders, but every living thing which he had not carried off with him, he destroyed by sword or fire. Well, he did like that dog. Well, they took the dog. What do you expect? Um, So there's quite a lot of weight to that destruction argument. Yes. Um, Although, as we said, the Scotty Chronicon... Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the role of the church is arguably underrated in this sort of creating a new nation yeah. aspect because as we said before they have probably done quite a lot of the early job before his reign of that merging of the religion the language of the culture yeah you start to get something in common and then it's yeah. actually confusing so we just sort of take it all back to Kenneth but actually mm. he was maybe just the king at the top but the church is the one that's probably actually really fostering those ties and also we see a split with Iona because Iona goes to Kells in Ireland Mm. so when Columba's relics are 
transferred inwards, that's really a break. So, yeah, you know, one's going one way and one's going the other. Exactly. Yeah. And that's you know, something which has been there for centuries and really was important in setting Dalriata up mm. in the first place. And actually they've lost something there and it's quite sad for them in a way. And it's a surprise because in Wessex, now for the Grace, a bit later on, a mm. couple of generations later than Kenneth, church and state very much come together to forge this new nation, whereas in Scotland there's a bit of a... Yeah, something that had, had bound <clears throat> them together is yes. now split apart. Um, and also, of course, we've got a lack of evidence of any real artistic or cultural interest or achievement or legacy <laughs> of any yeah. kind whatsoever, yeah. other than the fact that he lived in a nice palace. Mm. Well, I, I think, again, it's really tough, but mm. I don't think it's too good. It's not, it's not brilliant. I mean, he was working with what was already there, mm. uh, shifting stuff. Yeah. Sandstone. <laughs> yeah. And bones so, and relics. Yeah. Uh, but it was of great symbolic importance, the stuff he was doing. Yeah. And we don't have much record, so how do we really know? I, I, I hope people don't think I'm copying out here, but I'm going to give him a solid five. <laughs> yeah, it is tricky, because um, if we said for the scandal and the baffliness that we're sort of, we've got an idea of a chap who's quite mm. killy yeah. in his... <laughs> Uh, so you think that's probably not great and um, the difficulty is it's such an awful time to live with the Vikings and all the chaos going yeah. on so obviously you wouldn't want to be a subject to him and there's nothing to suggest that he was a particularly loving king no but there's nothing to suggest that he was an absolute tyrant and no the, and, and sorry that, that paragraph where you read where it was a brief synopsis of his reign mm. that is pretty much all we know isn't it so yeah. if, if you've only got four lines you're not going to start <laughs> including all the all the good stuff it'd just be bullet points he also commissioned some lovely poems yeah and, and set up a children's hospital there's a wonderful garden you should see it it's <laughs> just um, so yeah but we do have the marriage alliances we do have even if the church is doing it a bit this sort of starting a mm. new dynasty that becomes Scotland so I think that's quite good so I'm, I'm going to give him a slightly more benefit of that doubt mm. but still a bit of doubt five and a half okay which gives him a score of ten and a half for subjectivity. Longevity. <laughs> we said before, it's not entirely clear yeah. when exactly he rules from. Yeah. But we're going to take the year 843 yeah, as a starting point. And he dies, as it says, in 858. Mm. We can't be precise with the month, so we're going to give that a nice round 15 years. Okay. Now, if we put that into our patty calculator... Best explain this for new listeners. Yeah, so for new listeners, what we do is that the longevity score is based on the number of years that he rules for. Yeah. But when the previous series, we found that sometimes you could have a rubbish king who just lives a long time. Yeah. And we thought it's unfair for the total score that they get this massive yeah. disproportionate total. So like Queen Victoria. Like Queen Victoria. <laughs> she had pretty good other ones. Henry III was a particular yeah. one, I think. So what we uh, did, thanks to uh, one of our listeners, Patty worked out a formula to turn the longevity score into a score out of 20. Which is, yeah. So basically what we do is we take the top score in that category, because it's factual, we can work that out, mm. and then make, make that, that 20. Exactly. Mm. Um, so Kenneth's reigned there for 15 years, mm. and that comes out, as we say, at 5.2. Dynasty, not the program. So again, this is a factual one, which will convert into mm. a score out of 20. This is how many legitimate surviving children yes. he has. Mm, yes. Again, this is quite murky because you're oh! tracing. Well, not in that sense, I'm oh. afraid. Just in the sense of actually knowing, okay. for sure. But 
a relatively safe bet mm. is to say four. Four children. That doesn't sound very good. Two daughters, two sons. Nice and even. Yes, yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, but it's not too bad. That four turns into... Well, actually, it's not that great. Uh, a score of 6.67, mm. although... I did forget to send myself my calculation, so I may have got that slightly wrong, but I'll update next time if I did. Which gives him uh, so 6.67 for Dynasty and a total score of 47.87. Okay. Which Not, you know, I think he's brought down clearly by that longevity and uh, dynasty. dynasty. It's an awkward one, for because particularly in this period where it's hard to reign for a long time, mm. and then to have someone, perhaps later... Yeah who doesn't have this sort of circumstance and thus reigns forever and ever, it does mean that you get an awful lot of monarchs who are king for, you know, maybe 20 years and mm. will get a low yeah, score yeah. of longevity. But that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. So that is uh, Kenneth reviewed, but we've got one more decision to make. Does he have that certain something, that lasting legacy, that sense of greatness that we call... Oh, Rex Factor! Oh, <laughs> there's that accent. <laughs> he slipped it in. So, where where are you at? Well, I am at... Now, I'm going to shock you here. Okay. Yes. Ooh. Because he has, he's the first. Not, mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't necessarily uh, give that to um, Alfred the Great just because he was the first. I mean, yeah. the... the uh, the name the great helps. It does. But mind you, the conqueror. Yeah. And I really, I mean, however, whichever means, mm. he did. In some, yes, exactly. In some way, uh, died in his bed. Yeah. Managed to expand. Yeah. We a lot of the other stuff is assumed, like mm. the uh, subjectivity. Yeah. I mean, I gave him five, but you know, who's to say one way or the other? I think it's solid. It could have been a lot worse if the Vikings had come in and just killed yeah. everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean it's really it's a solid. He's he's Kenneth the Conqueror. He starts us off. Boom, we're off mm-hmm. to a flying start. The uh, I suppose the the biggest argument I think against him, other than the fact that a lot of the fun stories are almost certainly not true, <laughs> um, is the fact that he's sort of put up on this pedestal as the first King of Scots. Yeah, but actually his title would have been Rex Pictorum, King of the Picts. So it's only later actually that. Oh. They start calling them kings of Scots. Right. So in a way that is a bit like Alfred, because Alfred was king of Wessex and then of the yeah. Anglo-Saxons. It wasn't until Athelstan that you actually yeah. finished the job. So there's an argument that actually he's you know he's pushed up a little bit more than to give him something more than he actually was. But he is the one that starts it. Mm. If it weren't, if it wasn't for him, yeah. and he you know he can only he can only do. What he did, and the the fact that others came after and were able to build on it, great. Exactly, I imagine. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think we need we need a benchmark. Yeah, I'm going with yes. And, and a fish scale fancy dress. Fish scale fancy dress. That's tip tip definitely. And, and also, evil. to be fair, it's going to be very tricky for these early monarchs where there's such a limited amount of evidence. So for Kenneth, we've really got some good stuff. Mm. It's a good start. I'm going to say yes as well. Lovely, lovely. What a start. Well done, Kenneth McAlpine. King Kenny. King Ken, King Ken Rex Victorious Factorus. It's perfect. So that is Kenneth McAlpin, all reviewed, and it's a good start. He has got the Rex yes, Factor. He's exactly. currently standing alone on uh, the Scottish Rex Factor yeah. mountain. His sword is held aloft. Oh, no, it's hidden. 
His sword is hidden, yeah. and uh, he's desperately trying to find his dog. Yeah. So, we will be back next time with his brother, Donald. Brother? Brother. Ooh. Intriguing. Yeah, uh, Ooh. Intriguing, intriguing. All will be revealed. But we'll see you next time. Cheerio.